Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a special edition of Inside Boxing Live. This is the Canelo Triple G post-fight show. I'm your host, Dan Canobio. We have two very great guests for you. Fresh off calling the fight for HBO Boxing, he is Jim Lampley, and he joins us here on the show. We'll get his thoughts on who he thought won, that legendary 90-minute fill, and how he decompresses after such a big time fight also we'll talk to cbs sports brian campbell he was ringside as well he scored the fight he had it for golovkin i'll ask him why uh, he thought that and we'll get his thoughts on uh, mayweather, mayweather pacquiao too as well as uh, some other things going on in the world of boxing but first off before we get in, into the fight it's been one year since we started the show inside boxing live i can't believe how fast the year has gone by we started the show last September 15th because we wanted to talk about Triple G Canelo and we thought that there was a, a void in boxing to talk about big fights on the Monday following a Saturday night. And here we are once again, one year later, talking about Triple G and Canelo who put on an absolute war Saturday night at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. First off, my second first off is hats off to both fighters. I mean, boxing fans are always asking for the best to fight the best. And on the rare occasion that we do get that, sometimes it turns out to be a dud. But not on Saturday night. Just for one second, can we appreciate what each guy did in that ring for our entertainment? They stood in the center of the ring and they engaged in a high-powered chess match for 36 minutes. It was high drama. Boxing remains the most dramatic sport there is. And I love it. And I can't not get away from it. Now let's talk about the actual fight. I didn't score the fight. But I can say with extreme confidence that us at CompuBox, we watch a fight like no other. Outside of maybe the two trainers or the three trainers for each fighter and the broadcast team, we at CompuBox watch this fight closer than anyone. And I didn't score the fight, but I'll give you some of my thoughts. I was counting a Golovkin on Saturday night, and I will tell you that, you know, off the bat, he didn't look right. There was something off with, with uh, Triple G. I mean, he, he was breathing heavily, uh, he was jabbing a lot, but he wasn't throwing any power shots behind it, and I ultimately think that came to bite him in the butt because uh, for, for, he didn't get the decision. I thought that um, he just didn't, he looked, he looked 36 years old, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that Canelo was putting on the pressure in this fight, which I didn't think anyone saw coming. Um, we talked to Abel Sanchez last week, and he said that, you know, I asked him if, if are you goading Canelo into a stand and trade war. He said, "No, I'm not. I really, I really not. But I just thought he better not do that because it's not going to turn out good for him. We heard it all for the last six months that that Canelo's going to come in here and he's going to get on his bike. He didn't. He stood in the center of the ring and he traded for 36 minutes. He withstood an onslaught late from Golovkin and his hand was raised at the end. You got to give your your props to Canelo. He stood in the middle of the ring. 
He was called out for running. And what did he do the entire first fight uh, for the first fight? He countered beautifully in, in this rematch. He went to the body ferociously. That's a big storyline in this. We'll get to the numbers a little later. He went to the body. I think it's the number one storyline in this fight is the body work. The body work for Triple G and the lack of body work uh, for, for Golovkin. He was the more consistent fighter in my opinion. Now we have to go to Stephen A. Smith and Teddy Atlas who had some thoughts on the fight. It was pity fat. It was pity fat. He was doing that's what he was doing. He was poking like this, but he wasn't doing that. He wasn't doing But he wasn't doing it the whole fight. Listen to this. Thank you, guys. Great stuff. Moving forward, let's talk about the numbers. We got CompuBox, we crunched the numbers, and we got to the bottom of it. The fight was the opposite of the first fight in many ways. It was Canelo who was dictating the pace early, and it was Triple G who came on late. Uh, Canelo landed more power shots. He had a 46-6 to edge in body shots. I talked about how that was the biggest difference, 46-6. to So Golovkin, after landing eight body shots in the first fight, only landed six and we'll get Jim Lampley's thoughts on that in a little bit. Every big round that Triple G had late, a lot, a lot of people are talking about how he won that 12th round, how he won that 10th round. Yeah, but he did win those rounds, may, arguably, but it was Canelo did enough in those rounds to hold him off. You know, uh, Triple G, he landed 46 power shots in rounds 1 through 6, but finished strong, landing 70 over the final 6th round. Why was Triple G only landing 46 uh, power shots in rounds 1 through 6? Why was he throwing that jab and not following it up with power shots? Why did he come on so strongly in the end? Was it because Canelo, that relenting pace from Canelo, did he get tired? Was it just ultimately, it was a little too late uh, for, for Triple G. Quickly, we'll go over to the scorecards. Glenn Feldman had it 114-114, a draw. Weisfeld and Moretti both had it 115-113 for Canelo. I thought the judging was excellent in this fight. Uh, the judges only differed on four rounds. Uh, this is interesting. All three judges had it 105-104 Canelo going into the 12th round. So that means that Triple G, the best he can do was a draw, unless he either knocked down a Canelo, got a 10-8 round, or ultimately knocked him out. Um, many thought that Triple G won the 12th round, but if you look at the numbers, Canelo outlanded Triple G in power shots. He threw 89 punches in the round if you want to look at uh, aggressiveness. But that's the story of this fight. It was, it was uh, Canelo walking down Golovkin like he's never been walked down before. Ultimately, he was more consistent, in my opinion, and uh, if I had to give an edge, it would have been uh, to Canelo. Now let's get into our interview portion of the show. First, we're going to talk to HBO Sports' Jim Lampley, see how he had it scored and everything about that. Then we'll go over to CBS Sports' Brian Campbell. He was also ringside. Here are some interviews. Okay, before we get to Jim Lampley, I have to tell you about Jack Doyle's restaurant and bar located on 35th Street and 7th Avenue, right in the heart of Manhattan, a few steps away from Madison Square Garden. It's NFL time. It's MLB playoffs time. Go into Jack Doyle's, tell them that the Inside Boxing Live crew sent you, and they will hook you up. And with that, we're going to bring in Jim Lampley. He was ringside on Saturday night for the Triple G Canelo rematch. What a fight it was, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, and it was a tremendous fight, uh, kind of fight I would have to watch three or four times to try to develop some con kind of concept as to who actually won the fight. I think what we've seen over the course of 24 rounds now is that these two fighters are extraordinarily evenly matched. Their, their skills are complementary. They bring out the best in each other. Uh, we see round after round where one guy will surge and seem to be in control for 15, 20, 30 seconds, and the other guy will come right back and, and reestablish his own presence 
uh, within all of that. And scoring these fights is a nightmare. Uh, I don't envy any ringside judge. You have to sit there and make those decisions at the end of a round with a few seconds to write a name on a paper and very little to choose between the two of them. And, you know, among all the amazing things to watch, the thing that most sticks out to me is what an amazing pair of chins. I mean, the, the capacity that these guys have to take that kind of punishment, hard shot after hard shot, round after round, and keep coming. And in 24 rounds, I think we've seen Canelo dizzy one time in the 10th round the other night. And other than that, neither fighter has really been badly hurt. That's, that's to me, borderline incredible. Yeah, that, how about uh, this? How about this stat, Jim? That kind of how about this stat? They landed, they landed within six punches of each other in 16 of the 24 rounds with one round even. That's, that's just a mark of amazingly even competition. And, you know, to, to uninitiates who see knockouts or landslide fights and say to themselves that the margins of competition in boxing are wide, that isn't true. The, the, mar- the margins of competition in boxing are extremely fine. And, you know, guys go into the gym and they spend a dozen years building their skills. And then they wind up in the ring with somebody who's just as good as they are. It's, it's an incredibly deep emotional and mental challenge for them. And I have to believe that both guys are exhausted this morning uh, coming off of yet another yeah, Jim, what do you do to come down from a fight like that? I mean, I was up till like 3 and 4 in the morning New York time because, I mean, it was such an outstanding fight. I'm on Twitter. I'm looking at things. You're right in the middle of it. You're in the heart of it. You're, you're in there calling the fights. How do you come down from big fights like this? You know, How long does it take you to kind of decompress after a fight like that? Well, it, it takes days. Right? I mean, it really it does not happen overnight because, of course, you know, I finished the call and then I had to do some work for the delay show that comes up this Saturday night. And then I went to dinner with 18 people uh, across the street. And, you know, that was 18 people who had been to the boxing match. So uh, obviously all of them wanted to debrief and go through the whole thing. And then I, you know, went back to the room to consider trying to go to sleep. But of course I had uh, the internet in front of me and, uh, and on all sorts of feedback there. And uh, so it, it takes days before I begin to, shake this kind of thing out of my system and you know right now this morning i'm i'm still living with canelo and triple g that's awesome us two here over at CompuBox, and that's why we're doing this show because there's such a hunger to talk about the fight but just to the naked eye um who did you have a slight edge i know you have to go back and watch it again and really and sit down and look at it but being ringside you know talking to everyone how did you have it just to the naked eye who are you leaning towards well, you know, I mean, first of all, the two judges gave the 12th round to uh, Canelo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and on the surface, that's, that's hard for me to see. I, you know, my thumb, thumbnail impression sitting and calling the 12th round was that Golovkin was the action uh, in the 12th round. And I think he felt like he needed that round. And so, you know, it, it looked to me as though Gennady had, had capped off his great late fight rally by winning the 12th. And now two judges give the 12th to Canelo. And by doing so, they create a Canelo win. If those two judges give the 12th round to Golovkin, which felt justified to me, then you have a draw. I mean, and what do you have after 24 rounds? You have a draw. I mean, you have, you have, there, there is no difference in the quality level of these two fighters. But there is one style difference that keeps showing up that I think penalizes Gennady Golovkin and it penalized 
Sergei Kovalev against Andre Ward. And the style difference has to do with body punching. Right. And, and I've thought and thought about this. You know, after Gennady Golovkin only landed eight body punches in the first fight, by far the most meaningful of all the CompuBox numbers in that fight. The one thing you thought coming into the second fight was that he can't do any less. It's, it's not even conceivable yeah. that he could do less work to the body in the second fight than he did in the first fight. He's got to do more. He knows he's got to do more. He will do more. He landed six body punches the other night. I and know. You wonder how is that possible? And and what I come to is, you know, uh, it's not as clear with Kovalev, but he also had a long amateur career. Gennady Golovkin had 350 amateur fights. And if you are trained in the Eastern European system and you have a, an incredibly long amateur career as that is, you are going to be trained over and over and over to recognize that inexperienced judges sitting at amateur uh, rings all around the world are not equipped to judge body punches. They don't even try, by and large, compute body punches into what they're looking at. Throw to the head, throw the punches that can be seen, and in the heat of battle, Golovkin and Kovalev both showed you they go back to their instincts, they go back to their amateur training, they don't throw body punches, they throw to the head. Canelo landed 46 body shots the other night. Uh, it's amazing if you go into gyms, and you know this, Nick, the unanimity with which fighters all around the world will tell you, body punches hurt more than head punches. Yeah. Body punches take more out of me than head punches do. Mike Tyson told us, it's a hurt business. So if there's a deficiency in either one of these two fighters, that makes for some competitive difference at the end of the day. To me, it is that Golovkin does not throw enough body punches to support what he's doing to the head. If he did, he might have had a knockout in either fight. If he threw body punches, he might have gotten Canelo out of No, I agree. I agree with you. He, uh, got him himself. No, I, I totally that's, agree with you. 46 to 6. 46 to 6 in, in body shots. Canelo landed 46 to just 6 for, for Triple G. Uh, we, we had Abel Sanchez on this show last week, and I brought up that number 8 to him. I said that's you know really hard to, to land just 8 body shots in 12 rounds. Will it be different this time? And he said, yes. We worked on a lot of things in there. We worked on uh, him throwing punches on the ropes, even though they didn't go to the ropes at all in this fight. But body punching is something that we worked on. And you made a really good point about the amateur training and the amateur scoring. But it's not like Triple G never went to the body in other fights. Look at Matthew Macklin. He was tweeting during the fight. Why isn't... Uh... Well, it's easier. It's a lot easier to do it when you're not threatened. It's yeah. a lot easier to do it when you're peeing off on an outmatched opponent. Yeah. Then you can remember and say, okay, we worked on body punches, and I do that. But in the heat of battle, you go back to your basic instinct and the way you were trained, and I go back to those 350 amateur punches. And by the way, look at the cultural difference. Canelo Alvarez turned pro at age 15. Professional fighters in professional gyms in Mexico and the United States are taught two to the head, one to the body. Two to the head, one to the body, over and over and over. They mix that into their thinking. It's not a part of the Eastern European amateur system, and it's the single biggest difference between these two fights. Now let's talk about, we're talking right now, why Golovkin lost. Let's give a little credit to, to Canelo and why he won. How impressed were you with his game plan of marching forward and walking down Golovkin, who has never been walked down in his professional career? Well, I think that both Max Kellerman and Roy Jones were brilliant in the early going in the fight and establishing that Canelo had reversed the paradigm of the narrative, that he had changed the story from the get-go by coming forward. Abel, Abel Sanchez spent all those months 
trying to goad Canelo into coming forward and fighting a Mexican fight, so to speak, and not running in the ring. And I don't think Abel ever anticipated that Canelo could make that an asset, but he did. Uh, and, uh, yes, he came in. He seized the center of the ring. He put pressure on Gennady. He made Gennady work harder than he might have expected to work in the early going in the fight. He, pen- he put him on the defensive mentally. It was all brilliant stuff from Canelo. But by the seventh or eighth round, Golovkin has turned that around against him and, and now begins to use that uh, to, to set up his own shots and, and land with effectiveness. And if he had mixed in some body punching, he might have gone forward and separated himself once and for all and, and won the fight and been Triple G. Uh, but it's been hard for him to be Triple G, the destroyer, against somebody as strong and with the kind of chin that Canelo has. has I, have I mentioned these two chins? I mean, how, how incredible is it? Insane. These guys can take shot after shot the way they do. I don't know if I've ever seen two more magnificent chins in the ring against each other. That's what makes for, for great fights. You're right. The highest level of, of fighters going at it. You know, very slim margins there. You, you nailed it all there. But how about this, uh, Jim? Now, Triple G's 234 landed punches, 879 thrown, were the most by a Canelo opponent in 24 fights tracked by CompuBox. That is very telling to me. One, because of the chin that you just talked about. Secondly, because, uh, you know, Canelo was willing to stand in there and take the onslaught, sort of say, to win this fight. That's how he won the fight is because he was willing to stand in the middle and take 234 punches, the most ever landed on Canelo. Well, again, it's counterintuitive. It's hard for the layman to accept. Great professional fighters are trained to take punches to the head. They know how to do They can turn their heads at the last second and take some of the impact off. They can steal themselves. Their necks are incredibly strong. They work that way. Mm-hmm. And they'll all tell you that body punches hurt them more. And, and, you know, like you say, Canelo landed 46 body shots. Time after time in these two fights, watch the fighters walk back to their corners and look at how Canelo looks like the fresher fighter. He struts back to the corner, and he struts out of the corner, and he looks more alive and fresher than Gennady. Now, is that natural body language? It might be. Or was it the body punching? That's another possibility. Now, when you look at Golovkin, and uh, now it's Monday morning as we record this, you know, what do you think he's thinking? You know, does he have regrets? You know, did, did he's, you think he's, he's still thinking, went to the body? He's, I know exactly what he's thinking. He's thinking no Eastern European fighter can ever get a break in that environment. <laughs> he's thinking that American judges can't score fairly for an Eastern European fighter against a Western culture fighter in Las Vegas. He's thinking the same thing that Sergey Kovalev was thinking after his first fight with Andre Ward. He is not thinking it's because of my deficiency in body punches. He is thinking that the real cultural difference here is that those judges can't pull the trigger on him winning the fight because he's from Eastern Europe. What about psychologically now? This is the, the top of the summit for, for Triple G. You know, this was the biggest fight of his career. These past two fights were the biggest fights of career of his career, and he's had a much maligned career trying to get big fights. Now he, he comes out of this, these two fights with a draw and a loss, and arguably he could have won both of them. What does that do to a fighter's mindset and you know, going forward in his career at this stage? Well, listen, there were signs even before Saturday night that Golovkin is tired to death of the experience. Uh, there, there were signs, even before they got into the ring, that he is weary of, of all of the difficulty of dealing with Golden Boy and Canelo and their institutional control over the event, uh, and, and it made him angry. 
And uh, even though all logic and money points to a third fight, I've been pointing out to several people this morning, there are three fighters in the history of boxing who have walked away from a guaranteed eight-figure payday and did not come back. So far, those three fighters are Marvelous Marvin Hagler, Lennox Lewis, and up to this moment, Vladimir Klitschko, all three of whom have walked away from a guaranteed eight-figure payday. I believe it is possible Golovkin will become the fourth. I think he may well be done with this enterprise, and he will simply say, take your third fight and stuff it. I don't want to subject myself to this kind of humiliation at the hands of prejudiced judges anymore. I'm not going to do it. I think that's possible. Logic says he'll take the eight-figure payday and come back. But Gennady is emotionally wrecked uh, right now. That's my judgment. And, and I could certainly understand if at least for the next several months what he presents is to hell with that. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that, that no fight fan would fault him for taking the money because this is a guy that was avoided during the prime of his career, and you know what? He deserves to cash out. Another thing is fighting in, in, in Las Vegas. He's never going to get this fight out of Las Vegas because now that Canelo has the belts, Canelo won the match, they're going to, like you just said, they're going to control the ne- negotiations for this third fight, and people are saying on Twitter today, you know, this fight has to leave, go to New York, go to Texas, go anywhere but Vegas. But we all know d- deep down that's not going to happen. This fight, if it does happen, a third one, it's going to be in Las Vegas. 100% correct. As I said, Golden Boy has institutional control. Canelo got a victory the other night. Now he has institutional control uh, again. Tiny margins of competition become large margins of business interest and business control. I, I'm not shocked. Gennady Golovkin, who was forced to fight for chicken feed on the streets in Kazakhstan, uh, now having made more money than he probably would for most of his life ever have dreamed possible, I'm not shocked if he walks away. Were you surprised that he, that he didn't talk to HBO after the fight? No. Uh, I saw that coming. Uh, as, as I mentioned, I'm not going to give any details, but there were signs all weekend that he is done with the experience. And uh, as soon as he uh, left the ring, I knew that we weren't getting into the dressing room to talk to him. He was done. He had nothing to say. Uh, He believes that the system is entirely stacked against him. He believes that no Eastern European fighter can get a fair shake in Las Vegas. Kovalev thinks the same thing. I don't blame them for believing that. Uh, I think there are other factors. Do you think Golovkin takes solace in the fact that he's the quote-unquote people's champion? Yes, he didn't win the, the either fight, but like you just said, like everyone knows or a lot of people had him winning. Do you think he takes solace in the fact that, you know what, deep from you know 50 years from now, yeah, Canelo's name will be in the record books for that W, but everyone knows that I, I had the better of him in those 24 rounds? I hope Golovkin takes some solace from that. It's one of the few good things about the social media era is that there? You know, we don't have to guess who's the people's winner of both fights. We know mm-hmm. people's winner of both fights is Gennady Golovkin. We know that his popularity has only gotten bigger and grown greater as the result of what's happened here. We know that one of the best things that can happen to your your relationship with the public, if you're a fighter, is that you give your all and fight with courage and distinction, and then get an injustice from the judges. It makes people like you more. And right now, Gennady is greatly beloved all around the world. He's always deserved that for being who he is. He's always deserved that for being the courageous, crowd-pleasing fighter that he is. And now he has it because he's seen as a martyr. 
to a system that won't give him a fair shake. Now that that big storyline in this fight was beforehand, this hour and a half, this 90-minute fill that you put on. I, I've been in the truck when they put together those those uh, graphics that we are never going to see the light of day, but they they did see the light of day on Saturday night. Talk to us about that, Phil. I mean, you did a tremendous job. No commercials, live. You guys are talking about everything. You're breaking out gloves. Was that the longest fill of your illustrious broadcasting career, Jim? It wasn't actually the longest fill of my illustrious broadcasting career. You have to remember <laughs> that I hosted uh, I hosted 12 years of Wimbledon for HBO. Correct. Those telecasts were six hours live, no commercials. And sometimes they were six hours live, no commercials, no tennis, uh, because of what the English euphemistically call weather. So I had a lot of practice uh, doing the kinds of things that we did Saturday night. And what I'll say mostly about what we did Saturday night is that, uh, to me, that was a showcase for the extraordinary extemporaneous communication abilities of both Max Kellerman and Roy Jones. Yeah. I mean, I just kept handing off, handing off, handing off asking these guys for observations, trying to keep a train of thought going, what was the best way to cut uh, the fight, and they just kept taking it to another level. Uh, and, and their willingness to disagree with each other, their uh, willingness to, to make categorical statements and, uh, and say controversial things that they deeply believe in, etc. cetera, uh, I, I value that enormously. They are um, uh, my blood brothers. They are... Uh, two colleagues that I will love and revere forever, and uh, Saturday night was a perfect demonstration of why I feel the way I do about them. No, oh, they were tremendous. You're absolutely right. They went on and on and on. I think there was one point when we got to the fight, we were like five minutes away, and you guys were wrapping up, and you said like something along the lines of, now we're going to get to the fight. You know, I, you know, thank you for doing this, Max and, and, and Roy. And Max was like, you kidding me? He's like, I get to talk boxing for 90 minutes before the biggest fight in the world with, with you two fellas, so you can see the camaraderie between you two, but that is tough work, and uh, you guys did a great job calling the fight. But I got to you know, to take unfortunately, I have to take down the level right here, kind of bring it down. I have to get your thoughts, Jim. Over the weekend, we saw I can't believe I even have to ask you about this, but Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao rematch apparently is going to be happening in December. What are your thoughts on, on such a thing like that? I just went to sleep. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think you said something about Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. I mean, I called that fight. Yep. Who in the world would want to see that again? Uh, I mean, that that was an entertainment atrocity, as, by the way, we all knew it would be. And I mean, I don't think for anybody in boxing, there was a moment of suspense or or uh, real curiosity about what was going to happen in the first Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. You knew exactly what was going to happen, and, and you got it in bold relief, and now they're going to do it again. Uh, you know, anybody who answers up money to see that is just a sucker. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I, I'm not going to give my thoughts on it. But, yes, that's uh, you make a very solid point there. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you find a way to decompress after what was one of the greatest fights in the middleweight history uh, on Saturday night. And we'll talk to you again soon. All right, before we get to Brian Campbell, I have to tell you about Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle is located on 35th and 7th, right in the heart of Manhattan. They have great drink specials, great place to watch college football. They are the official home of my West Virginia Mountaineers. You can watch NFL games. I know they play a lot of Viking games there. They play a lot of everything there at Jack Doyle, so go check them out. And with that, we'll bring in Brian Campbell, fresh from Vegas. He's in his uh, lair up in Connecticut, and he's ready to talk boxing. Brian, how are you doing today? 
fired up as always, Dan. Jet lag be damned. And, you know, when am I going to get a little uh, little of that Jack Doyle's action here? Can I get a drink special myself? If you go in there and you bring a voucher, you have to print it out yourself. You probably have to make it yourself. And you put a little inside boxing logo on there. You probably can get, like, maybe one drink in one app. All right, all right. I'll take that. I'll take that. That's probably the best app I've had since DAZN. Hey, <laughs> Speaking of DAZN, yeah, they start off this weekend. We'll, we'll get your thoughts on uh, Joshua Pavek in a little later, but we've got to talk about Triple G Canelo. You were ringside. You tweeted out, which uh, 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 before the fight, you said, if I could bottle up the feeling that is 15 minutes before a big pay-per-view main event and sell it, I would. First of all, I want to go in on you with that because there's no other feeling in the world. Before we get to the fight, what was the vibe in the arena? Talk to us. It was incredible, and that was, as you know, a late-arriving pay-per-view crowd in Vegas. We know that the HBO pay-per-view undercard went so quick, they had 90 minutes to kill. Yeah. You know, it's one of those where you're like, hey, are the celebrities going to make it in time? Well, by the time the ring walk started, that arena was rocking, and yeah, it felt extra special. It was really that incredible vibe and buzz of intensity, because you were going to expect action. There was certainly a grudge match element, biggest fight oh. of the year, all of that, but there was that extra hunger to see something special that carried up until the ring announcements and the opening bell. And hot damn, Dan, this was a special night of boxing. Like, let's not fool around. Whereas last year, fight of the year contender in the first meeting, pretty much all action at a high level. I really felt like they almost doubled the intensity for the rematch. They fought at a hellacious pace. And then we saw that action, especially over the last six rounds. Uh, how many Mayweather fights have the casual public bought and been disappointed with? I know that's the nature of the beast with Floyd, but Dan, this thing delivered. Like, this is what you want from your sport. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because I talked to a lot of my friends, and I had some casual boxing fan friends that said, you know, I didn't even know the fight was happening because the promotion, A, wasn't that great. And I think last year, the Mayweather-McGregor actually helped Triple G Canelo because I know a lot of people, casual fans, that ordered um, Mayweather uh, McGregor and they said you know what I, I loved it and so I'm going to order uh, Triple G Canelo so that I feel like there wasn't the best numbers so I'm curious have you heard anything about pay-per-view numbers yet coming in Oscar said right after the fight that it's trending very well and he mentioned specifically digital it's the best numbers they've ever seen but no I haven't heard any we may have to get Rick Glazer on the line to get the inside conspiracy <laughs> scoop being... on how much this fight will do but look the first one did 1.3 even though there was a lack of over-the-top promotion, I still think the expectations that your money would be well, you know, well rewarded. I really think this can do a million and a half, million six. I, I know that's especially in 2018 for a non-Mayweather fight. That's ridiculous to say, but I really think the the especially the maybe not the the casual, but the in between the casual and the hardcores. The people knew what they were going to get in this one, and I think that really helped sell a fight. Yeah, there were a lot of people that were maybe had like some buyer's remorse. Not buyer's remorse, but what's the opposite of buyer's remorse? Saying, man, I wish I ordered that. I hadn't had a lot of friends that said that too, but you're right. You know, a lot of times you order a Mayweather pay-per-view, and that's been the case for the last, you know, seven, eight years, and you've been disappointed, not Saturday night. But you had the, you had it 116-112 for Golovkin. Can you explain your card and why you saw it that way? Yes, yeah, certainly. Look, I thought... Uh, First half of the fight, Canelo fought brilliantly. I had him up 4-2 to two at the midway point, and he succeeded in doing something we'd never seen before, which is make Triple G back up. You know, he, Canelo certainly learned a lot from the first fight. He, he fought much more aggressively. Really in those, you know, 4, 5, and 6, those rounds, really worked his jab, which seemed to confuse. I mean, Golovkin's a great front runner. He loves to take the lead to corner you. It seemed like he was getting tired uh, backing up against Canelo. That was very interesting, but man, did the fight turn, I thought, in the second half. Now, 
this was as close and great a fight as we've seen. So you can't be mad at anybody's scorecard. In hindsight, did I score the last six rounds to, for Triple G? I guess I did. People came at me on Twitter saying, man, you're blind. You gave all six to Triple G? Well, it certainly wasn't planned that way, but you saw really close, great rounds in the second half of that fight. And, Dan, when you're trying to decipher who won that round when it's so even, you're going you're gonna to go sometimes to certain things. I leaned on the power of Golovkin. I thought he made Canelo fight Triple G's fight in the second half made him get into a firefight. So certainly I'm here to tell you how impressed I am with Canelo. No question about that. The chin, the balls, the game plan, all of that. But I felt in the second half of that fight, I watched Golovkin win really close rounds. I had it 8-4. I'd say at least three of those rounds were legit coin flips. Let's say I flipped it the other way. What's that, a draw? Canelo 7-5? I can't be mad at the scorecards. It's just tough if you admire and respect Triple G to see him go to Vegas twice and come out with nothing, but that yeah. is the breaks in this game. That is that's how the game works. Yeah, I did have a little bit of that feeling for, for Triple G, a guy that you know didn't get to the U.S. market until what he was 32. I mean, the guy should have been on HBO in his 20s. You know, he finally gets. And then not only that, he gets. He's one of the most avoided middleweights in, in recent time. He finally gets that big fight. He gets the draw the first time, and then he gets. You know, a lot of people thought he he won the fight. But I want to ask you a question about media scoring fights. Um, sometimes I know you, you're close, and uh, you know the, the bigger comp- the bigger media entities, they get a nice ringside perch. But there's other guys that are a little further away. But other than that, do you have a, a hard time scoring fights ringside, considering that you know you're on Twitter and you, you're thinking about your deadline? Maybe you're writing some of your story. I know there was a lot out there t- today with the media scorecards circulating on it, and a lot of people had Triple G winning. Yeah, look at the everyone's compromised in some way when you're in the arena, even the judges, right? I talked to, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of judges. In fact, I had breakfast with Glenn Feldman that morning who happened to score at 114-114, and he'll tell you himself, you know, sometimes you're on the wrong side of the ring for the big action that happens in the round, and you see somebody's back. For me specifically, yes, I'm tweeting. I'm doing a live blog on CBSSports.com in which I'm giving play-by-play and typing it as it happens. Sometimes my eyes go down for a second, and I have to bug the guy next to me, you know, who hit that punch? So the judges have a certainly have a better view than I do. I am very interested in watching the broadcast when HBO replays it on Saturday to see if my score changed, right? First fight, I had it 9-3 to Triple G. Watched it two or three more times. Had it 7-5 Triple G. So this one, 8-4 Triple G for me. I'm curious to see where it changes. And one little thing here. It's a complaint. I know people are going to be like, hey, beggars, stop being choosers. But normally, you know, you're a copy box guy. You sit ringside for these fights. Oscar De La Hoya decided to put the media back about, you know, 25 rows up. Similar to Mayweather-McGregor. I know I can't complain too much because I'm there for free, right? And Mm -hmm. if you go to a fight in England... The media is put in the upper deck so they can sell all those rich seats down there. I know it happens, but media acts like judges, right? Tries to give the public a feel of what they thought the fight was scored. It was a little bit more difficult to try to score that fight from row 25 as it is from row 3. So I don't say that to complain as much as I say that to just say, hey, score it for yourself, watch it twice, tell me what you think, you know? Well, I, I, I listen to that as a complaint. Now, that's you're talking directly to Oscar De La Hoya right now. Get me closer. Brian yeah. Campbell wants to sit closer. I mean, I did go to the media dinner that Oscar put on and enjoyed a nice steak. So he did, you know, he did... He did get the quickest way to my heart, but I'd trade that steak for the front row. Come on, Oscar. You're better than that. Also, breakfast with, with Feldman. That sounds like it could be like a name of a podcast. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two two comedians in cars with uh, with a judge. Yeah, I got a, a. It's a spinoff of what Seinfeld's doing. It's fantastic. What's it like talking to a judge before a fight like that? I mean, these guys, you know, they're, sometimes they're kind of awkward. Sometimes they're kind of quiet because it's kind of weird. You know, their name is directly associated with the fight. Like you know why uh, Canelo won this fight is because uh, Weisfeld and the other judge scored the last round for Canelo. So what was it like talking to him? Was he was he talkative or what was his mindset? Uh, it, you know, I, I specifically have a great relationship with Glenn, who's a great guy. We live in the same town. But, oh, okay. you know, I have talked to him and other judges many times. In fact, there was another judge from that card, not the main event, who, who went to breakfast with us. And I do pick their brain. It is interesting. They can they compare their lot to, let's say, an NFL kicker, right, where it's, 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 all, it's what have you done for me lately? You're only as good as your last bout. And I, you know, sort of made jokes at them before the fight saying, hey, do you always realize you're one scorecard away from – from being done, from being a C.J. Ross, from being an Adelaide Bird. And, you know, they don't like that I make that joke because that's the reality of the game for them. They're highly professional. They take this stuff seriously, and they realize that in a fight like this, they earn their money. I mean, you know, I talked to Glenn Feldman afterwards. He said that's the most intense fight. And, he, you know, he did Mayweather Pacquiao, and he said that this Saturday that was the most intense fight he's ever done. He, he earned the money more in that fight than one ever, one ever before because there is a lot of pressure where you can get publicly shamed yeah. for a bad night at the office. And, you know, this week in the Las Vegas newspapers, all the judges' faces were blown up on the back page. So they wanted to make sure that everybody knew who they were coming off of the Adelaide Birds situation last year. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was – it was the judging was really good. I mean, going into the last round, I think all three judges had it 105, 104 for, for Canelo. There was only four rounds in the total on all three cards in which they were they, they differentiated. So the, I thought the judging was very solid, very tough job. You know how hard it was to, to judge that one. But let's talk about uh, Canelo's game plan here. Were you surprised that he stood in the center of the ring for the majority of the fight, and were you surprised that he actually moved – uh, Golovkin back 100% to, to both things you know I never would have guessed that Abel Sanchez is goading to say hey you run you're not going to fight man-to-man Mexican style you're not going to give the fans what they deserve would end up to a small degree in backfiring for them look Canelo Alvarez earned this fight did I think he won it no I just told you that but he earned the accolades that he gets from this he earned you know the decision that the judges gave him it wasn't my decision but he did earn their decision because Man, you know, when you're a pretty boy, when you're a pay-per-view star like he is, like Oscar was, there's going to be a certain number of that population who's never going to respect you. And I think with Canelo, the hardcore Mexican fans, he was never really their guy to some degree, right? He's not Chavez Sr. He's not going to take three to give one. He's a crafty counterpuncher, and he's very calculated. But, Dan, you just said it. Man, he eschewed that in the second half of that fight to walk Gennady down and the bombs that he ate in that 10th round and never went down and bit down hard he wouldn't have won the fight if he didn't do that so I have to give him the respect I have to say I'm surprised and I have to say whether you thought he won or not he's gonna get the pound for pound respect you know whether you have him at two three four five whatever like that he just showed you he's not smoking mirrors yeah he gets the benefit of the doubt that's how this sport works but he is a is a top flight fighter. I have a lot of respect for what he did out there. Yeah, you have to give props to Canelo. I mean, you can be the, the most ardent, you can be the hardest uh, Canelo hater. You cannot like the fact how he handled the uh, the Columbia Roll. You can just not like his style, but you have to respect 
the performance he put on Saturday night, eating those punches, walking down a guy in a Golovkin who's never been walked down in his career. And it's going to be interesting to see how Canelo fights moving forward. Will he continue to fight like that, maybe more aggressive, or do you think he'll go back to his counter-punching ways, you know, 42 punches around? You know, I, I think it'll depend fight for fight. And he's never – he's been sort of uh... – uh, stubborn in that regard. He's always going to fight the way he wants to fight, not the way that, that we wanted to fight. I think this was a time where he felt this was how he needed to fight in what became the biggest fight of his career, and this was a great test for him. So I think it'll depend on the opponent. Look, if he's going to fight David Lemieux next, let's say, who knows, but let's say he does that, it's not going to be smart for him to go in there and, and walk the guy no, down, right? Yeah, it's yeah, going to be right. smart for him to outbox. So he's smart enough where I feel like he showed you a new wrinkle we didn't know he had. It gives a lot of credit to his trainers, Eddie and Chepo Reynoso, who at times, especially after the Floyd Mayweather fight, we said, why are, you, why are you with these guys who have no other major fighters? But I think he proved this time around that that's a tight-knit group. They're doing great things. As for Golovkin, we'll get over to him and, uh, you know, Took the first couple rounds. You had said you had him up in the first couple rounds. You know, he didn't look himself, though. I mean, he was jabbing well. You know, he was huffing and puffing. I don't know if you could see that from, from your vantage point, but he was breathing heavily. He was His movement didn't look like normal Golovkin movement where he's just plodding forward like a robot. Did come on late. He found a second wind. He really reached back and for that great ninth and tenth round and, and maybe just to the end of the fight where you had him winning. A lot of people had him winning. What's next for Golovkin, and how can you sum up his performance on Saturday night? His performance still showed me that he has it. He's 36. Is he not the same guy he was in 2012, 2013, 2014? I think we all realize that. But he wants this, this, this trilogy fight. He said it would have to you know, depend if the things were right, which means the money, of course. He does lose a bit of leverage that he had in the second fight by losing this. But this is still the biggest money fight for him. This is still the biggest chance for him to sort of do big legacy things, right? So I don't know if he's going to fight uh next against uh against canelo we know triple g likes to stay busy i think if you're golden boy you can cash the third fight in in may if you want just as easily you could push it off to september of next year and wait till golovkin's 37 i think we'll see triple g back i think we'll probably see him in a title fight i mean i I, we've seen it before where guys come off of losing their title get a title shot the next time around kovalev did that after the andre ward fight i know there was a vacant title in that spot but i wouldn't be surprised if we see you know, Golovkin fight the winner of, let's say, Saunders, uh, uh, Andrade, or whatever. But I think he's going to have to figure out how to be Gennady Golovkin, the elite, at 36 and 37, though. I think he's going to have to try to alter his style just enough, maybe counterpunch a bit more, maybe realize that against the very top-level elite, you can't just go out there and jab. you got to do something a little bit different. But I think he'll be fine. I'm more interested to see business-wise. Yeah. With HBO being rumored of being out of the game, do they throw all the money at Canelo and Triple G to make sure at the very least they get those guys back? Or could Triple G be pulled away into a zone or into another network? I think this is, you know, financially from the business side, very interesting moving forward. Yeah, that was my next question for you. Um, did you hear any rumblings? I mean, it's it's a lot of rumors before the fight. Uh, luckily, the fight was so good that we didn't really have, no one cared about the business side of what's going to go forward. But have you, did you hear any rumblings about what HBO might do out in Vegas? No, talking to some uh, HBO people candidly, they didn't even know. And I think that we were all writing their obituary heading into the start of the fight. But, you know, let's be honest here, Dan. HBO's got a good thing going with the Triple G Canelo feud. They would be very wise to find whatever money is possible, even if it's not a long-term deal, Mm -hmm. to at the very least secure that that trilogy fight ends up on HBO next year. I agree with that, 100%. Before we let you go, let's talk about The Zone. They have a big fight. 
um, this weekend. They kicked off their app last weekend. Um, they just made a big announcement today. Brian Kenny, uh, uh, we got Sugar Ray Leonard on board. Uh, we got who else? We got Chris Mannix, uh, Kay Adams. This is a star-studded uh, broadcast crew. But this Saturday night, you will see Anthony Joshua back in the ring going up against Povetkin. What do you like in this fight? Obviously, a lot of people are, are going to go with, with uh, Joshua, but why will this be a compelling fight? I think it's compelling because while the disappointment that it's not wild there, for, especially the casual fans, it's real. Look, Povetkin does one thing really well outside of uh, test positive for drugs. It's that he comes in there to bang. I mean, he's in his late 30s, but he's a puncher. He's small for a super heavyweight at only six foot two, but he comes in there to win. He goes after it. So you're going to see Joshua challenged. You know, there's the chance he could get rocked, even dropped. There's just as easily a chance that Joshua plays it casual and tries to use his size and length to outbox him. But I think either way, Povetkin's going to put himself in a spot where he's either going to have success or he's going to pay for being too overaggressive. And I think that'll make the fight fun in the end. I, of course, like a lot of people, like Joshua to win. But take note of that line. I was in Vegas over the weekend, plus 800 for Povetkin. They have him as a big-time underdog. And we all know, look, Joshua's chin is not rock solid. He is the class of this heavyweight division at the moment, but this is a very vulnerable heavyweight division, and that's certainly why it makes it exciting. They have big names and big personalities, but none of them, including Tyson Fury, makes us think that this is Ali and Frazier right now. So there is that potential for this to be fun. And look, I wish DAZN well, and I think this is a really good fight to launch their, their platform. Not that excited, of course, about Jesse Vargas Thomas DeLorme on October 6th, but this card is a chance to show that they're different. Their app already has certain features and stuff that makes them feel different. I don't love that announced team, especially their A-team with Kenny and Sugar Ray Leonard. I think maybe they should have gone in a hip direction, but not my call. I'm looking forward to the card. Hopefully they can make a dent in the business. Now, May 2nd, 2015 was the best day of my life because that's when I met you, Brian Campbell. It was at Mayweather Pacquiao. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the greatest nights of my life. I mean, who is this guy? I heard a lot about you. I finally got to meet you. I was like, this dude's electric. Need to get him on my podcast that's not even around. But, <laughs> but what going forward now, will we have a reunion? We'll be, we'll be seeing each other come December for this ridiculous Mayweather-Pacquiao rematch. Yes, we will. And uh, our, our friend in the business, Mike Coppinger of The Ring, just uh, had a report Cop. out, I think, this morning. Cop, Cop Tega had a report out there that... You know, we could see that announced this week that the contracts could happen for December 1st or December 8th. <laughs> Look, I talked to Bob Arum over the weekend, had him on my podcast. I wrote a story about it. Top rank's done with the Manny Pacquiao business. They did not re-sign him after the Matisse fight. After 17 years, it's over. I thought that was pretty shocking, and I think that opens the door for this fight to happen. There's not going to be any extra cooks in the kitchen. I know there's a collective groan. Dan Rayfield, our friend and colleague, you know, former colleague, just wrote this big anti-slander piece that nobody wants this fight. I know I got 50 tweets of people saying, yawn. Guess what, Dan? When this fight happens, these people will be buying the yes, pay-per-view. They will. they will be there. I think it's pretty damn compelling, maybe for degenerate reasons. And I say that because I love old guy fights because when your skills go away, sometimes you got to brawl. We mm-hmm. get a Pacquiao Marquez 4, right? Yep. I don't know if this fight will be that. But you can't tell me you're not at least compelled that Floyd's going to put that O on the line again and risk everything he worked for to be the TVE, the unbeaten guy, against an aging Manny. It's compelling just in that regard. It's two all-time greats. It's a money grab, heck yeah, it is. But we're all going to be there. And guess what? It's great for the sport. So everybody else, wake up and realize that. It's great for the sport. 
we're not going to expect a classic for $100 like we did in 2015. There was too much pressure on that fight after that long build. Mm-hmm. We're going to expect two old guys out there. And sometimes when two old guys get together, magic happens, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think a lot of people will be watching, but you're right. Brian Campbell, great stuff. As always, in this corner podcast, and you have some great sound from over the weekend. What do you got upcoming on the pod? Oh, yeah, big-time podcast today, launching with Abel Sanchez, with Todd Grisham of DAZN. A lot of Triple G Canelo recap, and don't miss the In This Corner special Triple G Canelo interview edition coming out this week. Great chats with many of our friends in the business. Bob Aram, oh, my God, you're not going to want to miss what he says about that orgy he had with Muhammad Ali in the late 70s in the Philippines. Wow. How about that for a tease? That's how you cut a promo. Wow. I'm I'm in. I'll be downloading it. Thank you, Brian, so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon, man.